1: children with us tonight, out there in the listening audience, and I wish to apologize for the unseemly goatish sound. In fact, I think if we hold on tight enough tonight, you might hear the first play-by-play radio broadcast live of an actual orgy. (laughs) The first one to come to you since Rome. Rome. By the way, I could just see 500 million guys turning to their chicks and saying, I told you we should have gone tonight. <laughs> and she's saying, well, I don't know. <laughs> well, now, now, here we are. We're at the limelight. And uh, that's in the heart of steaming, fetid, passion-ridden, truth-bound Greenwich Village. Now, those of us who are here do not realize that we have risen to a kind of peak of American culture here. This is it. Isn't that scary? (laughs) This is it. I mean, uh, are you aware that there are probably 200,000 guys to the square foot outside of New York who figure that if they could only get to Greenwich Village, life would be one long song. They'd write beautiful plays. (laughs) They'd meet these fantastic chicks. And life is passionate. Well, here we are. Sure is passionate, ain't it, gang? Oh, boy, you poor slobs. Oh, man, you poor guys in Jersey out there. Oh, man, you poor idiots out there in Philadelphia. Oh. Oh. They're still swimming underwater in Philly. (laughs) Well, all right. We might as well get this thing underway. And it's the 4th of July. And as we all know, the 4th of July is not the holiday that it used to be. Not by a long shot. As a matter of fact, when I was a kid, right at this very minute, about 10 o'clock just before midnight of the 4th, July 3rd, there were countless homes filled with guys priming their ammunition. I can remember seeing old man Bruner standing out on the back porch with a pair of 38 horse pistols. Just spinning that cartridge, just spinning that thing there, you know, that cylinder, waiting for midnight. And then the instant midnight would hit, you'd hear a rolling barrage that would begin at the horizon and then boom up against your house and roll off into the distance again. Old man Bruner out there on the back porch stewed to the gills (laughs) with his thirty-eight caliber horse pistols. Have you ever seen a drunk weaving around amid (laughs) clotheslines and clothes poles hollering Happy (laughs) Fourth! And everybody in the neighborhood is in the basement under the coal cellar. (laughs) Celebrating the Fourth of July. Well, (laughs) you know, it's it's a funny thing, but if you look carefully at me, look very carefully, you'll notice that I have peculiar eyebrows.
0: <laughs> you
1: notice that? <laughs> well, they paste on. I'm an old Fourth of July celebrant. And I remember I remember one afternoon, the Fourth of July, of course, you know, it's, it's funny out here in the East. We're very unreal people, you know, here in the East. That's one of the beauties about living both on the West Coast and on the East Coast, because these are the air-conditioned parts of the United States. Showbiz out there on L.A., showbiz here in New York, but way out there in Ames, Iowa, out there in the darkness in Hammond, Indiana, in Hessville, little places like Jerusalem, Indiana. Oh, man. You ought to see a 4th of July in Versailles, Indiana. That's a French name. It's the way they pronounce it there. The temperature is 115 degrees there. The humidity is roughly 186. <laughs> yeah, they superheat the air out there, you know. Oh, it's, it's wild. I remember standing about this time of the year, about the 1st of, of the July period, around the 4th or 5th, you could stand in the middle of a field, in Indiana and the entire horizon is just shimmering as far as the eye can see and kind of bending up and the sky is a light copper color and in fact I can remember my old man on just about this time of the year you know everybody wherever he lives has his own concept of beauty like people who live in Arizona they go at twilight and look at the Grand Canyon People in New York, they go at twilight and look at Sixth Avenue. <laughs> Beautiful Sixth Avenue, that great canyon laying there with the cigar butts and the, and the beer cans. Well, in, in Indiana, when I was a kid, hot nights like this, I can remember the old man coming up the back porch. You hear him banging around back there and you hear the garage door slam. You hear the screen door go pow, and eight million mosquitoes go Whoa! He just comes in with a cloud around him. By the way, that reminds me, my father was the, probably the greatest mosquito hunter in the Western world. I, uh, one of my great, one of my great uh, uh, images of him... You know, we all have memories. When you think of your father or your mother, what specific... If I say to you, your mother, how do you see her? Or if I say your father what instant do you see them well if you say to me "You're old man well immediately i have this image it's three o'clock in the morning it's dark the temperature is 190 in the house just laying there and the whole midwest is soaking in the heat And you can smell the worms out there in the in the yard and you can hear the moles going deeper and you can hear a little thunder off in the distance, that, that heat lightning. It's 3 o'clock in the morning, see, and I'm laying in my sack, I'm sweating. My kid brother is laying under the daybed crying. Well, he did a lot of that, you know. He was ahead of his time. He'd have been a great novelist if he'd been around today, see. <laughs> so, you had a feel. you didn't lay a glove on that one. So, I'm laying there sweating. Oh, boy, you remember, you know, just laying there when you're a kid and I'm just laying, conked out, sweating, <sighs> looking around. And all of a sudden, in the next room, where my mother and father slept, I'd hear,
0: shh, shh, shh,
1: the old man had detected a mosquito.
0: <laughs> and then
1: I'd hear him say, shh, shh, whoop, and then I'd hear him jump up on the bed, and there he goes, whap, bang, bang, on the ceiling, bang. He's running all over my mother, and she's screaming. <laughs> She's still got an ear that's crooked, you know. <laughs> He's jumping around. I right, got him. And then I'd hear, got The old man scored again.
0: <laughs>
1: Either that or he wouldn't get the mosquito. And the lights would go on. And he would go all over the house carrying his fly swatter. In fact, my old man was the only guy I ever knew who carried a fly swatter in a shoulder holster. <laughs> He did. He carried it with him all the time. He had a handmade one with a pistol grip on it, you know, and a whole he's a real sportsman. And, and, you know, we used to love mosquitoes. And he, he, would, he would go all over the house, you see, and you'd hear him in the kitchen. You'd hear him going back and forth. And then you'd hear, bang! Then you'd hear a muffled curse. I learned almost all of my later army language <laughs> from my father in the war against the mosquitos. <laughs> well, this was all part of that that Midwestern mystique, heat, nothing to do... In fact, it, it's funny, you know, here in New York we've got millions of things, we've got the shows, we've got the ocean, Can you imagine they don't have an ocean in Ohio? They just don't know what an ocean is out there. They don't go to Jones Beach there. They don't have any. They don't even have Robert Moses out there. You know, nothing. They just walk around. You ought to see a Midwesterner out having a good time. It's something like this. (laughs) He walks, see. You've seen them going up and down in front of Rockefeller Center with their Bermuda shorts looking up. (laughs)
0: Have
1: you ever noticed that that fantastic, solemn look, (laughs) the way eight Midwesterners are looking at the Empire State Building? (laughs) (laughs) Then they take a picture. Then they hang the thing and they walk around. And 20 minutes later, they're at they're at the big Radio City Music Hall watching all those chicks dance. Have you ever seen that show there? Listen, Radio City goes completely ape on major holidays. I will never forget Radio City Music Hall one Easter. You have never seen a group of 428 chorus girls all dancing with Easter eggs on their head and each one with a letter... A big neon letter that made a suitable religious Latin inscription.
0: <laughs> uh,
1: all of them dancing. I'd love to see their Fourth of July show. Oh, patriotism is rampant. But I have had at least a dozen requests from people to tell about my experiences. You see, the Fourth of July means something very special to me because my old man about this time of the year was absolutely out of his head. The 4th of July was his peak day because he was the only guy in the neighborhood who owned and operated, now get this, a fireworks stand. Can you imagine having a father that sold this stuff? And this was in the depression, see, when if you could afford two torpedoes, and maybe one or two sparklers and one cherry bomb that was a tremendous celebration well the old man had a stand he had this big, have you ever worked in a stand? I'll tell you, none of you maybe that's why I am vaguely an an apocalyptic character because I have an idea of what hell is like (laughs)
0: <laughs>
1: it's all abstract to most of you, I know But I have worked in a fireworks stand In the middle of July In that heat, that fantastic heat For three and four weeks at a stretch On a, on a state highway in Indiana And all you'd hear is the sound of the Chevy's going by With bad tappets and you hear the valve springs rattling and you can hear the natives spitting (laughs) hour after hour in the heat and I'm standing behind my little counter there the temperature is 9,000 degrees and I am surrounded by all the explosives in the western world (laughs) now how do you you like that for a feeling of being on the edge of the
0: abyss
1: (laughs) and I'm 12 years old and my old man had one phrase he used to say he says look you are going to learn how to make change before you're 21, or you won't be able to sit down till you're 100. And I don't know whether you ever know the experience of being 12 years old and 85 guys have driven up in their Chevys and all the big butter and egg men get out and their cuties are sitting in the car. You know, that was one way in those days of proving your masculinity was by the amount and the type of fireworks you bought. You could see guys chickening out before your eyes. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you, we had shelves. Let me, for those of you who have never really seen fireworks, let me explain what they had. We had about nine big wooden shelves, see? And all this stuff was displayed on these shelves. And all the way at the top was the stuff that was strictly for Big Daddy. This was the kind of fireworks that King Kong would have bought. you know. Oh! way up there I mean giant things they carry them out like this you know? I mean big cannons that had little wheels on the bottom you know black powder you could hear them steaming and hissing when they carried them out and they always had a little instruction thing on the bottom it says I remember the Excelsior Firework Company yeah that was the outfit we bought it from Excelsior that's where I got the word and at the bottom of every one of the really big bombs it would say the Excelsior Firework Corporation does not take responsibility. And when you bought something like that, man, you didn't have to prove anything else.
0: <laughs>
1: Nothing! And I would be saying, I'm a kid, see, and I'm standing there, you could tell cars would pull up, and I could tell right away who was going to buy the big dago bombs. And for those of you who are out there thinking that I am making a racial remark, I am not. There was a specific kind of firework called the Dagobah. You ever heard of a Dago bomb? Well, let me tell you what it was. This was a thing that came in about five sizes. There was one like this. This is for uh, moderately delinquent kids. <laughs> this was an eight-incher, see? Then there was one that was like this. Then there was one that was like this. Then there was one like this and the last one you just stood up next to it was unbelievable that thing went for five bucks back in the depression when the average guy was earning five dollars a year and once in a while you'd see this Chevy come up and out would get this guy and you could see skulking in the Chevy behind him this little chick big blue eyes Indiana type girl and out comes Roof. He walks over. I-, I have to use my Indiana accent now, this is Indiana. He said, uh, i look for fireworks. I said, yep. We're standing there. We're measuring each other. It's like the bull standing before the toreador. I'm I'm daring him to buy the real stuff. And he secretly wants to buy sparklers. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, you develop all kinds of little words, little phrases, like you'll say, uh, give me some of them over there. And then I would say in a very loud voice, so that all the rest of the people who were buying would hear, I'd say, oh, you mean, uh, lady fingers, huh? He'd <laughs> say, no, no, forget that, no, forget that, uh, it ain't what I want, I want, uh, get one of them. I'd say, oh, number three, Dagobah. There's a man. I'd take this thing down. And he'd hold it. Are you aware that man has an unbelievable appetite for heavy explosions? <laughs> there is not one among us who is not excited by it. We can be peaceful people. We can be people who don't believe in war. But let me tell you, when you're fooling around in the bedroom, you know, or you're walking around in a kitchen, and all of a sudden, off in the middle distance, Kaboom! You cannot fight back the excitement. (laughs) Well, my old man, my father, was the most dedicated, high-explosive fan I've ever known. In fact, I've always said it's a shame that he passed out of this mortal coil before they invented the A-bomb. He would have loved it. He would have been a great... Now, he's not a war man. He just likes them big things, you know, to go up. He do not want to see anybody killed. He just likes to hear, boom, when the windows come in. Oh, I remember once the great while, we... our house was surrounded by refineries. We had Shell and Sinclair and Philip 66 out there. It'll be a hot summer afternoon. The old man is sitting in the kitchen with his shirt off, and he's reading the paper. The White Sox have lost 42 straight. (laughs) Luke Appling again, got three hits out of the White Sox, four hits for the week. He's sitting there. And that hum, you know, have you ever heard the sound of the the locusts in the trees in July in Indiana? It's deafening. You could just hear that. Ooh, the trails off. The old man is sitting there. He's got a can of lukewarm beer next to him. My kid brother is under the table whimpering. (laughs) My mother is over there, you know, and she's stirring the red cabbage. You know, it's Midwest life, you see. And I am out, I'm, you know, I'm walking around, I'm trying to, I'm looking for my fielder's myth, I've been looking for it for ten days, you remember when you were a kid and you looked for stuff for weeks, you just doggedly looked, you know? <laughs> when all of a sudden, out of the blue, one of the high test tanks full of aviation gas would go up at Sinclair, a half a mile away, you'd hear this boom. you feel it before you hear it, you know? There's something that hits you in the gut. You just feel this, and the windows go. The old man is on his feet, running for the Graham page (laughs) to witness the carnage before you even heard the explosion. (laughs) He just would sense that he's out on the street. Let's go! And I can remember sitting in the back seat on the way to fires all through my life. (laughs) The old man, his eyes shining and the guys are jumping out of the windows and the stuff is blowing up and he's out there cheering, Hey, let's go! <laughs>
0: well, it was
1: natural that he got himself a fireworks stand. It was only natural. And so every year, the old, he, got to be, he got to be a real adept at fireworks. Now, perhaps you don't know, since most of us today our fireworks fans. I mean, we we watch them go off in the park or at the fair, but are you aware of the fantastic technique that it takes to fire these things off? This is real specialties. And my father became the neighborhood Picasso of fireworks. He was a magnificent firework exploder. And every 4th of July, we'd be selling this stuff and the stock is getting smaller and smaller. And the cherry bombs are going. Incidentally, how many of you have shot off a Roman candle recently? Do you know what a, what a terrifically soul-warming thing this is? I have a feeling that if you take about at least, I'd say at least nine out of ten guys who are feeling inadequate today, who feel they've lost their masculinity, if I were a psychologist. I would equip them all with a giant Roman candle.
0: <laughs>
1: I'd say, go out, man, and let it go. <laughs> well, there's nothing like the Roman candle, you know, shoot one up there towards Saturn, choong, and they go up, in case you don't know what a Roman candle is. A Roman candle is a tool, and it comes in varying lengths. There's little ones, there's big ones, and then there's the big times. really big ones. These go all the way up to 25 shells. And each one of them, you see, has these little balls of fire. The little tiny ones have four. The next one have eight. And then you have the big babies, you know. You stand out there and whoop, you, know. you hold it, you know, the like it's got a handle here, and you shoot this thing up. Red, white, and blue. They're always colored red, white, and blue. Well, my father was a magnificent Roman candle man. You could judge the Roman candle shooter by the angle that he would shoot him at, the, st- the, the height that he would get on each arching ball. He could call his shots. And so as July 3rd, right this minute, would be dawning, I would be watching the shelves. Because whatever was left over, that was our family fireworks. Well, you know it was nip and tuck. You could tell, you could tell how the depression was going by just exactly how our stock was going. You know that some guys didn't have more than $4 a year to eat with, but they managed to buy $30 worth of high
0: explosives?
1: (laughs) I mean, that's the truth. I mean, there was nothing else to do out in the Midwest except blow people up, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's... So after 364 days of just walking around and sweating, you know, alone! Came a legal holiday when it was legal to blow up Anderson's Garage. <laughs> you know, and get away in the darkness. <laughs> well, every, every 4th of July, we'd start selling this stuff, and about the 3rd, you could begin to tell just how our home our home fireworks were going to be. And the entire neighborhood would wait. We lived in this neighborhood where the average guy worked maybe one day out of the month and in fact Bruner, I remember Bruner working his one day out of the month and when Bruner would work that one day he wouldn't show up back home for three days. He'd stop off at the Bluebird Tavern to celebrate and three days later you'd hear him crawling back up the driveway but the Fourth of July was different. We were all Americans. We were all united by this one thing, this hunger for explosives, This. Peculiar thing called America. And about the 3rd of July, our stock is getting lower. And then July 4th would spring up bright, unbelievably hot. And the, by the way, have you noticed today the only thing they talk about on the radio in respect to the 4th of July is traffic jams? They judge the success of the 4th by the number of guys that get killed in convertibles. Oh, yeah, that's all they talk about. Well, in those days, they didn't talk about traffic jams. They just had them. I remember the state of Indiana that had a traffic jam that started somewhere near Indianapolis, went past chicago and ended near duluth (laughs) and it was like that well into september (laughs) people just lived in their cars month on month on end you know and the steam is coming out of the front (laughs) oh yeah my uncle carl had a car remember, he had an essex i remember one fourth don't get me on that story he had an essex where it did not have a steering wheel (laughs) <laughs> yeah. That <laughs> just sounded like Uncle Carl backing in. <laughs> and, 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 you know, in those days, a guy would buy a car for $20. Because nobody, you know, the car, you couldn't get it fixed. Nobody had any money for gas. And so you could get this Rolls Royce for 55 bucks. <laughs> had bad valves, springs, and the tablets were shot. And they rolled on through the darkness. And that was July 4th millions of cars stretched to the beach it's noon now and our stocks are beginning to get real low it's now 10 o'clock at night and it's ready for closing time at exactly 11:30 on the 4th of july the old man would say real excited see what he did he would stand in front of his stock so no one could see it they drive up and say, no, we're all out of Dago bombs, he's like this, you know. He says, no, no, no more Roman candles. He's got my mother standing over here like this. And at 11.30, we would take all the stuff and pile it in the back of the Graham page. We would sometimes have it piled up in the back. The kids would be up on top, you know, it's like cordwood back there. 400 Roman candles. We had skyrockets that weighed 40 pounds. He's got them loaded back there, he's got cherry bombs, and he's got his favorite, the big bagel bombs. 400 pounds of this stuff. And we drive home through the darkness, we would arrive in front of the house, and, and incidentally the sky is filled with fireworks. On all sides. Sky rockets, you see them in the distance, and Roman candles. And you know, you'd go down through the darkness and you'd see little girls standing on a porch over you know, the spark place. <laughs> I don't know what a little and then every once in a while you'd hear the, the long wailing screams of a kid who got a hold of one of those hot wires.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: you remember those red wires? My grandmother was a punk specialist. <laughs> And I I remember her on the porch with punk sticking out of both ears, you know, on her hands. There was a myth that it kept the mosquitoes away. Well, actually, the mosquitoes, you know, punk was an early form of pot. And the mosquitoes were hooked on punk like nothing you ever saw in your life. And my grandmother would be standing on the porch surrounded by 18 million mosquitoes, all higher than a kite. Bombed out of her skull, you know, and she's out there. She keeps the mosquitoes away, you know.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> that's part.
1: Oh man! Speaking of punk, what radio station is this gang? Uh-oh. Oh man, punk all the way. <laughs> New Yorkie, that's where we are. W O R. Well, we'd come home. See, it's eleven thirty, and you would see the people. You know, nobody wants to admit that he secretly is waiting to be a freeloader in a celebration. <laughs> and you would see all the people hiding behind the screen doors, waiting for my father to get home. They knew he had the fireworks stand. It was a yearly bit, you know. We'd pull up in front of the house. He would start unloading. He put this stuff like, all right, come on, you kids, stand back. This is dangerous stuff. He loved to live right on the edge of disaster, <laughs> which all our lives we did. I can remember my mother with a broken voice, standing next to the ice box. My father's come home with the shining lights of a guy who has just mortgaged our life for another thousand years, and she says, just once, Gene. That was his name. <laughs> just once, Gene. Let's get just once one car paid for. <laughs> the old man said, oh, this is the last one. We'll get the, this, is, this is what I've been wanting. So we always lived on the edge of financial, psychological, and physical disaster. So he's unloading this stuff. And you could see the neighbors coming out on the porch. One by one, you'd hear the screen door slamming. And then the old man would start into operation. He was the only person I knew who programmed his fireworks. He'd start out with a little pinwheel just to get him going. Put this pinwheel up and he'd stand back. He's watching the neighbors. The pinwheel spins. And then they'd go, ah. You know that universal cry of, oh. Oh that was my father's applause
0: <laughs>
1: then he would in the darkness you'd see him down there and he's picking up a roman candle he lights it and you know firing a roman candle is a matter of style you'd see old ladies they stand her like this you know boom like that my old man i can remember him standing like this foot in proper position <laughs> My father about to let it go.
0: <laughs>
1: and of course the neighborhood is just watching them with their eyes big. And th- th- there's a little fire at the end of the Roman candle, see? And he would time it. He'd one, you'd see it beat, two, three, two. <laughs> and everyone would go, ah, he doesn't even watch, you know. One, two, three, two. One, two, three, two and they go arching up over towards Saturn, towards Mars, a red one, a green one, a blue one. And then came that one night, which has become, you know, every family has a tradition, has a legend of the fantastic story. All of your families have stories that you have. You know, these are the little family stories. This has become a shepherd family legend in fact it's an indiana legend it really is the old man has been having a fantastic evening he's sent off seventeen skyrockets that went all the way into the milky way he's had pinwheels that were thirty feet across he's been blowing up dago bombs, his caused rain three counties over, you know oh yeah, you know what, one of these aerial bombs work like this, you'd light this thing and believe me Believe me, anybody who's been around where they fired a high-velocity, high-explosive aerial bomb is not afraid of nuclear weapons. (laughs) Yeah, this thing, you'd sit it up, you see. It had a big square piece of wood on the base of it. And they, they were red, white, and blue. They had a red fuse that stuck out about that big. There's a big thing. And it had a little explosive in it. You'd light this thing. The fuse would burn down. Everyone would stand, maybe a hundred feet away, watching this thing. Boy, is that exciting, I'll tell you. It's just laying there. Oh, talk about talk about lethal. Talk about something building up. And you'd see the little sparkling in the dark. You'd see that little red fuse would And then it would stop. Boy, there's nothing like an aerial bomb that is about to lay an egg. (laughs) Everybody waits, you know, they're afraid to touch it, see? It stops, and somebody says, wait a minute, wait a minute, give me the pump, quick. (laughs) He starts going back, and it's, oh, Jesus. (laughs) They stand, there is it laying out there, right in the middle of the street. It would burn down, and there would be a brief pause, like maybe two beats. The fuse has disappeared. It would go, one, two, and then, boom just a little explosion, and you would see a tiny pellet going upward, trailing sparks higher and higher and higher, and then at the very peak, maybe 75, 100, 200 feet up, this thing would arch over, you'd watch it, and then just at the peak, it would go, boom, boom, there'd be a pause. Boom Boom, boom! Windows would come in, <laughs> and people are cheering and yelling. Let me tell you one night i'll tell you, you know you can't count on fireworks. This is why when I got in the army later on, I always was afraid of my m one I always thought one day that thing is going to jump out and bite me. you know oh, have you ever fired Have you ever fired mortars that's That's fireworks, all right well. <laughs> I remember one day an aerial bomb going up. The whole neighborhood is standing there, it's a three-and-a-half-footer, you know. This is one of the big ten-dollar ones. And everybody's standing about a hundred feet away, and it goes, poof up it goes. And we see that pellet going up, it goes higher and higher and higher, and the whole neighborhood is sort of hung in suspension. It went up like this,
0: <laughs> you
1: never saw more action in your life. It is coming right down on us. You saw feet, guys digging in. This was before an the award, they didn't even know about foxholes. There were more foxholes per square inch. Guys digging in and it hit the ground and bounced twice. It bounced twice and rolled in a snowball bush. And incidentally, it rolled in Mrs. Strickland's snowball bush. Which doesn't mean anything to you except Mrs. Strickland was the lady in the neighborhood who always called the cops.
0: You know, Mrs. Strickland, you all do. All of you guys that have hit foul balls up on the yard, you know.
1: You know, that screen door bangs open. This old doll was such a fanatic about foul balls hit in her yard, she used to come out of the screen door with a fielder's mitt on. She'd field the Oh, you kids are not going to any balls up here! And you'd hear the cops coming from miles around. Well, that, that Dago bomb charge rolled into her prize-winning, she had won first prize at the PTA, nine years running with her snowball bushes.
0: It rolled right in there, and it, the neighborhood just hung.
1: No, Mrs. Strickland! And here she is in the front bedroom, padding, you know, sitting there. You know, it's strictly Grant Wood. And there are three beats, and the entire neighborhood is covered with a thin coating of garlanded roses. Boom! Snowball bushes for miles around. Do you know, to this day, in fact, it appeared in Ripley. They talk about the day that snowball bush blossoms rained in Indianapolis. That was 140 miles south. Well... (laughs) Oh, yeah, see, that's, that's something they never talk about in connection with fireworks. They never talk about the way people looked at lives in those days. You know, everybody today is so self-involved that most people spend most of their time putting Band-Aids on themselves. Either psychological or psychiatric or physical, you know? Believe me, a, a, a psychologist couldn't have earned three dollars a year in Indiana, you know? I mean, they just didn't care. And so the attitude towards life was different than it is in a big self self-centered, nervous metropolis like New York. And so the people out there, you'd hear the sound of fireworks going off, punctuated. You'd hear being
0: <laughs>
1: boom. And then you'd hear, ah!
0: and then boom, boom.
1: The same families continuing to fire, you know. The wounded were just brought in and laid out on the porch. The guy's laying there with his hand all blown up, you know. And nobody even worried about it. They could worry about that the 5th of July, you know. I mean, you can't waste a minute. And the wounded were being brought in, laid in the basement.
0: And I remember...
1: Now, I'll tell you an actual experience that this is a, this is a true story as a kid. <laughs> you want to hear about the wounded side of it. Now, there was always a problem, you see. To those of you who are not fireworks fans, I'll tell you, there was a byproduct of fireworks called fizzes. These were firecrackers that didn't go off. These were various types of things. You'd light them and nothing would happen. It'd lay there, see. So you would collect these things. And so there's about 28 of us kids in the neighborhood. We have been collecting all of our fizzes together. We got a big pile of them. It's about three o'clock in the afternoon now. And so we all, see, we're, we're, we're husbanding our fireworks. And around about three, you begin to try to squeeze it out so that at 10 o'clock that night, you still have a couple of things to go. And so we're using the fizzes. And here's the way you use them. There were several ways. One way was to take a firecracker, break it in the middle. See? Break it in the middle. And then spill a little of the powder out. And then light that powder. And then it would go... Theoretically. (laughs) That's all it did. See? It would go... And once in a while, a kid would break it if, if you really had a lot of guts. Yeah, this oh there's many a guy walking around today whose ears still play the Star Spangled Banner. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I got an ear right now, my left ear, I am accompanied through life by a marimba solo <laughs> that's playing the stars and stripes forever, eternally in this ear because of a five incher. I broke it like this. I says, Watch this, you know. There's a fantastic blue flash. And for about 30 milliseconds, I'm in Oz.
0: <laughs>
1: well, ever since that time now, I hear this guy playing the marimba. And he ain't bad, by the way. <laughs> well, we get these fizzes, see? We take these fizzes, and we, we, had, we, had, we decided to have a, a kind of a community effort. Never, I don't recall who suggested it but every kid in the neighborhood is about 28 of us and we are breaking our fizzes and we are putting them into a pail well by three o'clock in the afternoon we must have had seven and a half pounds of mixed black and white powder it's all in there see and somebody says well let's set it off (laughs)
0: it's
1: in a pail see so we're all walking around here looking at the pail see Flick is over here, Brunner's over here, Schwartz is over there, you know, Martin is over there. There's 28 of us all around this. Like so somebody says, who's got any punk? And so Twyman says, I got some punk. And we all bend over like this. You know what's coming, don't you, gang? Well, remember, we're all nine years old, see? We were just learning life's little lessons. So we all bend over like this. Twyman takes the punk, and all I can say, have you ever heard the finale, the last few notes of the overture to 1812? <laughs> there was a gigantic blue, green, yellow, and purple flash, and there were 28 kids all in a circle, no eyebrows.
0: <laughs> Every last one of us. <laughs> you never
1: saw anything like it. <laughs> 28, just instantly, boom, like that. (laughs) And we're all hanging there for about eight milliseconds over this, you know, and all of a sudden Bruner says, was that great? Let's get some more. (laughs) You see, masochism was just beginning. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, Miss Shields, Three days later, we know, we had this thing down at the library where the teacher read to kids in the afternoon. Miss Fields, our second-grade teacher, was faced with 28 kids with no
0: eyebrows. <laughs> well,
1: this night, now I want to tell you what happened tonight, though, with the Roman candle. The neighborhood is out. It's hot. Off in the distance, you can see the steel mills. You can see the blast furnace flickering up against the sky. You can hear the sound of cannonading off near Harrison Park. And nobody in our neighborhood is doing a thing except watching my father, who's right in the middle of Cleveland Street, and he's approaching the absolute peak of his evening's program fireworks. Every year, he would save to the very end, he would save this 25-ball Roman candle. And that thing cost about $9. It had, you know, it was like a big bazooka. had handles, you know, and it had a shoulder strap and a whole thing, you know, and it had red, white, and blue flags all over. it. Incidentally, most of this fireworks, a lot of it was made in Japan.
0: <laughs>
1: and you know the Japanese, you know at that they were making all kinds of little tin things and by the way it was, it was thought that the Japanese actually started the war in the very early 30s <laughs> it was all infiltration <laughs> and the old man now has and the, and the crowd is out there you can see him in the darkness all standing on the porch you know you can smell the rose bushes and the snowball bushes and, and, and my mother is, is whimpering my mother whimpered all through the 4th of July celebration there was a, there was a, a, a litany it was almost a a religious litany that said you're gonna blow out an eye how many times have you heard that says you're just gonna blow out an eye (laughs) and of course the kids worked on it for years i don't know one kid that actually did it i know a guy that tried hard you know but nobody actually achieved it and so my mother's up on the porch saying be careful be careful! She just keeps saying this over and over again, be careful! And you hear the swing going back and forth and Mrs. Strickland is going back and forth and she's angry, she's about to call the cops and the old man is down there with his big Roman candle. Now what I'm about to describe to you actually happened. This is an actual occurrence. It's hot. It is about three minutes to midnight. He is shot off maybe hundred and fifty dollars worth of high explosives and now he is working on the roman candle, this big baby and i'm standing there you know and i'm so proud you know how proud you are when your father is really doing something big have you ever had a real secret ambition to actually see your old man in a fist fight <laughs> and on the other hand you're a little scared you know <laughs> Yeah, wouldn't it be terrible to see your old man, you know, getting a fight and bang in the teeth. <laughs> you say, dad, dad, no! You
0: know? Oh,
1: yeah, you know, so, so you're torn, you know, and I'm standing there and the old man is firing this thing, and he's got it going. And the crowd is applauding. He's got two of them going at once. He's got one in the left hand, one in the right hand, and they're going. He's going, choom, choom. Chung And a crowd is going, ah, and you hear a smattering of applause. You know, the old man is digging it. He's loving it. You could see his straw hat gleaming in the darkness. He had this straw skimmer, you know. By the way, ask me to tell you about the time it caught on fire. <laughs> that is a story I don't even want to discuss <laughs> with the sparkler that backfired. But here he's firing this way.
0: <laughs>
1: oh, yeah, that happened. He's firing these things away, and the crowd, he's got them in the palm of his hand. And he's counting the shots. Each one of these is a 25-ball Roman candle. And he's got 22. Choom, 22. Choom. Switch. 23. Choom. You know, the crowd is roaring because he's shooting them higher with every shot. 23. Choom, And the big green one goes up. Now he's got two more left. 24 room He played it real heroically. 24 room and he's got these tools like this. 20 shh.
0: 25 room
1: He knew there was another one in there, you know. And the crowd is just waiting like this. He's going And all of a sudden this thing goes boom out the back. <laughs> It goes right into the sleeve of his... (laughs) He's got this pongee sports shirt, see? It goes zoom like this. It goes out the back end. His shirt is on fire. The crowd explodes into a fantastic roar of applause. I mean, what a finale, you know? He takes off through the bushes. Up, you can hear him go up over the porch and boom, into the house. And you hear the shower, I go, shoo! And I'm standing there, you know, I'm a kid and the crowd is applauding. And I say, I I remember even saying, I said, that's my pop.
0: (laughs) What a man, you know?
1: Well, the story, the story of the Pongee sports shirt is a classical story. This happened and immediately, follow. I, I can't start this story because the funniest thing that ever really actually happened involving a Dago bomb involved Mr. Bruner. If you can conjure up in your mind the image of a dedicated drunk who is about to set off a cobalt bomb. <laughs> Well, you would have just the vaguest idea of what Mr. Bruner was like that night. You see, Mr. Bruner never worked. And they lived next door to us. Mrs. Bruner was one of these big, fat ladies. You know, kind of billowy. And she's got a flower dress on all through her life. You know the kind? And she always was doing something that she called to her hair. I don't even know what it means. She was always marcelling her hair. Do <laughs> You know what that means? I don't know. <laughs> I can always remember Mrs. Bruner's marcelling her hair all through my childhood. And she must have weighed 500 pounds. <laughs> and Mrs. Bruner carried all through her life in her hand the current issue of True Story, magazine little realizing she was living in the middle of it you know and i can remember mrs bruner sitting in the porch always sitting on the porch rocking back and forth reading true story with her hair freshly marcelled she was always waiting for that gigantic gala that never happened just like you know did i tell you my mother from the time i was nine or at least from the time i could first remember had her hair in curlers. She still got them in curlers. You see, she always kept her hair in curlers, figuring any minute now, the big thing was gonna happen that she could take it out, you know? It never happened, she never went anywhere, you know? Never did anything, you know. You can keep your curlers in when you're making red cabbage, see. (laughs) So even to this day, once in a while, I call my mother back, you know, back home in Hammond. I say, hey, Ma. She says, hello. You got a job yet?
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's the truth, you know. She still thinks
1: I should be working in the mill, you know, like other, like normal people, see. (laughs) I'll never forget the night she sat up at that corner table and saw this show for the first time she looked down as if she had given birth i remember i'd look up there and i'd see these funny looks you know these two eyes looking like suddenly she realized that she had spawned king kong
0: <laughs> and,
1: and all these people around her she kept saying that's the way that's true you know that's true <laughs> and the and the kids around her say what do you know lady you know? what do you know lady you know? i bet you never listened to chef boy you know? <laughs> But she says, no, I don't listen to them, actually. (laughs) Well, Mrs. Bruner, I remember Mrs. Bruner sitting on the porch. And this particular 4th of July was a typical hot 4th of July. It was in the middle of the afternoon. And thousands of kids are out, you know, with the, the little sparklers. And they got those little things, the cap guns and all this stuff is going on. When all of a sudden, right down the middle of Cleveland Street, we're just like down 7th Avenue here, or down the middle of the Grand Concourse, Mr. Bruner is approaching on one knee. He has been celebrating the Fourth, and you see him dragging along, you know. He's pie-eyed, you know, they're the gills. Well, this is his normal way, you see. Nobody paid any attention. They're out there sprinkling the lawns and blowing stuff up, and he's coming along, and he's got a paper bag. Well, everybody assumed that in this paper bag was the stuff for the rest of the afternoon, you know? (laughs) He's got the paper bag. All of a sudden, Bruner stops in the middle of the street. Just stands there. And the kids are out there playing. And young Ralph Bruner, the kid next door, says, Hey, Dad, get out of the street. You're going to get hit with a car. You know, he's pulling his old man. He's so much. Get away. The Fourth of July. To fourth. Get away, kid. And Mrs. Bruner is up on the porch with True Story,
0: you know. Right?
1: Back and forth, you know. And their yard, they, were, they had the only yard, you know. Every, all the other yards around there had snowball bushes and stuff. Their yard had stickers in it. <laughs> They had a fantastic crop of stickers all over. (laughs) And by the way, it was a ground rule double. (laughs) If you belted one of the stickers, no one would go in, you know. (laughs) So she's rocking back and forth, and old Ralph Bruner down there is in the middle of the street. And he said, get away, kid. He said, let's go. Fourth of July. He stands there for a minute. We're watching. He takes something out of the bag. He has procured the biggest, most lethal-looking bomb ever seen in the neighborhood. And for some strange reason, it is black. <laughs> I mean, talk about Moby Dick. Herman Melville, he's got a big, black bomb, And he puts it down there. Yeah, all right, kids, let's go here. And if people see this, and incidentally, there were a lot of rumors still to this day about that Dago bomb. They, a lot of people say it really wasn't. A lot of people, you know, there's all kinds of rumors that it was actually some kind of a rare mortar shell or something <laughs> that he had gotten at the tavern, you know, with one of his old bums. And immediately following the news, now hold on, gang. Ted Malley has some old news he wants to read to you in some old weather. Gene Shepard will return at the 1105 after Ed Pettit in the news on WOR Radio New York. Just do, do it for me. gets exciting, doesn't it? Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I don't know exactly how to say this, to those of you that are listening out there in uh, New Jersey and in Pennsylvania and out along the Turnpike, but uh, there was a very deplorable incident occurred here during the news, and uh, everybody's left. In fact, I'm the only one that's here now. And uh, I just guess there's no, there's no real use in going on with the show. I'm here all alone. Now, I have to admit that there are a few people listening on the radio. And uh, if any of you out there, out there somewhere, want me to carry on, out there in the listening audience. Just call us here at the Limelight, and I'll carry on just for you. Even if there's only one poor little lost soul in Trenton, I'll do it. I say to heck with these Johnny-come-latelys that come here to the Limelight to sit around and drink and holler and eat hamburgers. They're not the real folks. You're the real folks out there. And I'll I'll carry on. I've, all i got to have is one call. Let's hear it. Either that or we'll go back to the studio and put on some replays of some old John Gambling shows. (laughs) He does some nice shows with the time and all that, and I think you'll like it. So let's just stand by, folks. We're here at the limelight all by ourselves. Do you want me to carry on? Wait a minute now. The bartenders are applauding, folks. And the girls in the back room are applauding. I didn't tell you what goes on here at the limelight. There's a lot of little things here. They've got a lot of little businesses on the side here. And by the way, if you're you're scouting around out there in the darkness and you're looking for a place to roost, there are 700 empty seats here at the limelight. (laughs) And uh, we're on 7th Avenue South, and you just drive down here in front of the place and honk your horn, and I'll come out and entertain you all right and I will also continue is there one listener out there that wants to hear me Gary on
0: (laughs) not one are you
1: ready back there Ted Malley is the station ready to pick up okay you thought I wouldn't do it huh? I've got my car waiting I'm on my way to Jones Beach I knew I'd get off early tonight. <laughs> All right, let's get going now. Do you want to hear the, how, how the story of Ralph Bruner concluded? Yes. You wonder how Shepard has a tragic view of humanity? Have you wondered why I am not Holden Caulfield? Why I do not go through life thinking that I'm a sensitive person? Gee, wouldn't it be great to be sensitive? <laughs> I wish I was sensitive, I saw a little kid the other day out at the beach, he was about like this, two and a half feet tall, you know, a little squirt, and he's got a t-shirt, and the t-shirt has one word on it, it says, creative.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that was the
1: greatest t-shirt that I ever saw, you know.
0: <laughs>
1: that little guy's walking, he's got an ice cream cone, us dripping all over it, just creative. <laughs> well... There are us and them, let's face it. And I'm I'm you know, I'm a kid, I'm standing there watching old man Bruner, little realizing I'm about to see a historic moment in the in the lexicon in the history of fireworks in Indiana. Brunner is standing in front of his black Dagobomb. It's three feet tall, coal black, and about nine guys are backing away. And he's standing looking at him well how do you handle a person like that it was his it was his celebration of the founding of this country this was the country that had spawned his out-of-work condition (laughs) incidentally mr Bruner for 35 years was on the extra board at the railroad do you know what the extra board is the extra board is the board where they call guys to work there's the regulars and then there's the substitutes, and down at the bottom is the extra board. And Mr. Bruner never even got to the substitute level. You know, wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be something if in our own life, you know, the railroads, that's one thing about railroads. For those of you who don't know about railroad work, one of the things about it is that it ha- it's like a narcotic. Any guy that ever once stood next to a railroad train Every guy who's ever worked 10 minutes for a railroad's got it in his blood forever. They can't stop it. Well, can you imagine how it would be in our work if they were that honest? If down at your job, they had extra board. And there you were. And then they had regular board. Then they had substitutes. And you spent your life on that extra board. Well, that's old man Bruner, you see, and once in a great while, when a great hurricane would kill 85 workers, or a flood would carry the entire second shift down to the lake. (laughs) After all, this is the Midwest, you know, they really had it, or one of the boilers would blow up and kill four towns, you know. The phone would ring at the pool room, and old Jake at the pool room would go down to the second table, the snooker table. And he would pull Ralph Bruner out. (laughs) And he'd say, they're calling. And Bruner would get up. I can remember him trying to sober up, to go down to work in the roundhouse. And sure enough, after an hour and a half, they put him in the shower, they poured water on his head, they put his new overalls on, and he would go down (laughs) stiff-legged. Have you ever watched a drunk fight it? Walks like this, sort of sideways, you know? He'd go down to work. Well, here it is, the 4th of July, and Bruner is about to light his bomb. Well, somebody handed him a punk. Well, now, lighting a fuse is a tricky operation when sober. Well, there was a slight wind blowing, and Bruner kept tacking into it, you see. And he's lighting this thing. He can't hit it. And this big red fuse is sticking up about four inches of lethal, angry looking cobra. And he keeps weaving around. And everybody's backing away. Watch it, Bruner. He's weaving. And finally, you could hear the slight flicker of the first sparks of the fuse. He could and Bruner is still weaving somebody says bruner it's lit bruner get out of there it's lit and he turns and he says what's lit what's lit what and it's bruner bruner and he sees it and he starts and falls over backwards this thing is laying about a foot and a half from him have you ever seen a james bond film <laughs> Where the laser beams are approaching him.
0: <laughs> well,
1: here is Ralph Bruner's straddling 400 pounds of white powder, and Mrs. Bruner is up on the porch reading true romances, you know.
0: <laughs>
1: and of course, everybody says, "Get him quick!" and somebody runs out and grabs Bruner and starts to drag him back, and he's, "I want to light it!" and then it stops. The fuse flickers out. There was a brief pregnant pause. And Bruner reels back to the Dago farm. Says, uh, it's not lit. I told you it wasn't lit. Uh, Sound like this. Okay. It starts to go again. Bruner turns around, somebody hollers, Quick Bruner! It's going this time! And it really was going. It was like, shh anyway. He goes, knocks it over flat. The big old bomb goes, boom, like that. He's laying down. And the whole neighborhood hit the dirt instantly. The entire neighborhood, this thing is laying flat. I mean, there, this is a fantastic bomb. It's laying there. Somebody says, quick, grab it. No, no, it's going off. And just then, boom. Well, as I told you, this thing is designed to go up in the air maybe 200 yards. It skitters along the ground. It goes, Wee! Eighty-five guys. It was a, You talk about the Red Sea parting. <laughs> you never saw miracles like this in your life. There were old guys that had arthritis since the Boer War. Thirty feet in the air and running, you know? That thing goes,
0: Wee!
1: Screams. It bounces over the sidewalk, and they had this little terrace and it goes through Bruner's sticker patch. <laughs> and some kid out and said the double! It's a double! <laughs> goes whee! Right through the sticker patch and everybody's laying on the ground and it goes right under Bruner's porch.
0: <laughs>
1: well, there was about 18 milliseconds. You know, it's just like that countdown. Nine, seven, six, five, four, three, zero! And there was a wait. And then it hit. <laughs> You heard this, and the slats moved off. <laughs> Mrs. Bruner left that swing. She was right above it, reading her true romances. Mrs. Bruner left that, and you never heard such a cry of pure ecstatic passion in your life. Mrs. Bruner had the biggest thrill she'd had since she was eight. <laughs>
0: well i don't like to get i don't
1: like to get specific here gang but suffice it to say bernard mcfadden was never that good well that thing went off and it was a two-shotter incidentally it was a two shot It it was one of these that has has two explosions well mrs broner is hanging on the porch swing crying with joy and the other one skitters out the side of the porch bounces twice and goes under Anderson's Pontiac well I don't know whether you've ever seen a Pontiac 8 in the last throes of its destruction I'll tell you this thing went off under the transmission and the entire area was covered with oil you could just see it dripping down the hill hood goes out like that, and the neighborhood just hung there. Well, Bruner got up to his feet. He stood there for a second. Mrs. Bruner is swinging. You never saw anything like it. Her Marcelled hair is standing straight out. And old man Bruner says, My God, wasn't that a doozy? Well, to, th- <laughs> to this day, that remains probably the single greatest shot ever heard in northern Indiana.
0: <laughs> and
1: somebody here, while, we were, while we, were, we're, we were in the news there, asked me to do an Army story. And you know, it's a funny thing. I did this story that you're going to hear. I did this story about four years ago and it's the only time I ever did it. It was on 4th of July, exactly four years ago. And after I finished the story, I went off the air, you know, you do these things, I was in the studio, it was quiet. And after I finished the story, five minutes later, a telephone call came from some place out in Pennsylvania. And there was a, a lady on the phone, and she was the wife of the general involved. Yeah, oh no, she was delighted to hear that somebody remembered that. And she called up, and you know, it's fascinating to, to talk to a general's wife, you know. For those of you who have ever been in the Army, you're, you're very much aware that the general's wife even has a higher rank than the general. <laughs> well, that's the truth. And one of the, one of the craziest things that ever happened to me was the time I'm, I'm stationed at Fort Monmouth here. And I'm only here for a short time and I'm there for a special school. It was a very nervous school, you know, it was one of those schools where any minute now you're level, find yourself on the banana boat bound for the Battle of the Bulge, you know, and you're really, it's a really nervous school. And I'm hitchhiking. And I'm standing, uh, where was it here? What is the main highway that goes between here and Red Bank, New Jersey? 35, 35? I don't know it now. Because I avoid it like the plague now. <laughs> Well, I am standing on this highway, see, and I've, I've had about 23 cents in my pocket, and I've had a big weekend, and I'm hitchhiking. i have you know, G.I. I got my uniform all pressed. And I'm standing out there hitchhiking back to camp. Along comes this Chevy and picks me up. And there's a lady, a very nice motherly lady. She reminded me of my Aunt Clara. You know, in every family, there is the Aunt The aunt that takes the trouble for everybody? You know the long-suffering aunt? You know the one that keeps saying, oh, that's all right, go ahead. Go on, all of you go out and have fun. Go ahead. I'll stay here with the kids. (laughs) You know that aunt. That's all right, don't worry about me. I'll just stay here, that's it, all right. No, 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 don't bring me any ice cream. Bring some for the kids, not me. (laughs) Oh, no, that's Aunt Clara, see. All of her life, she works in self-pity the way Rodin worked in marble. She works in it, you know, just has little things and she makes these little sticks. you say, Oh, it's very true, Aunt Clara. Well, I'm sitting next to Aunt Clara in this car. She's picked me up and I figure, you know, this is a nice New Jersey lady. And we're riding in the car and she says, uh, do you like the army? You know, they always say that. And I say, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: it's okay. And she says, where are you stationed, soldier? You don't mind if I call you soldier, do you? You are a soldier, aren't you? I said, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm in a signal corps. She said, oh, the signal corps. That's a very interesting branch, isn't it? There's a pause, you know, I'm never gonna see this lady again. So I say, yeah, lady, I guess it is If you're out of your mind
0: <laughs>
1: I said, it's all right For a lot of old fogies And idiots and that kind of stuff And guys that want to dig holes in the ground It's okay, but not me you know? rotten bunch, actually I said, boy, if I could split out of the signal car I'd go in you know, like nine milliseconds She said, oh, the signal car, huh? Gee She says, it must be exciting Where are you stationed? I said, where am I stationed? I said, madam... Have you ever heard of Fort Monmouth? She says, yes, I've heard of it. I said, well, lady, Fort Monmouth, I you've you probably heard of Death Valley?
0: <laughs>
1: well, this Fort Monmouth is where they send them to practice for going to Death Valley. <laughs> I said, this is, a, this is a hellhole, lady. I'm telling you, it's a desperate camp. There's nothing but unhappy men, and any minute now, that place is going to blow up. You know, I'm dramatizing it. I want it to sound like, you know, it's right. Actually, Fort Monmouth was, was really like one big YMCA. Everybody just playing pool all day long, you know, eating donuts and going to the PX. That's what it was. But you don't want to admit that, you know, to a civilian. I said, oh, boy, what hell we got. Oh, wow. Whew.
0: And she says, well,
1: why is that? I said, why is it? Why is it ever that way? I said, that nut that's running it. I said, they got this nut, this old idiot nut down there, this old fool. And she says, oh, really? Gee, that must be discouraging. Well, we are now approaching Monmouth. And so we get up to the gates, you know, and I say, oh, this is where I get off, lady. And she says, oh, oh, well, I'm going through. She turns, and all the MPs go like this. I just, All of a sudden, I knew this was no PX lady. You know, <laughs> they are throwing salutes like that. You know, well actually, I'm talking about the other side of Fort Monmouth. You know, it's, there's only another way there. And I so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh,
1: but do you work here in a civilian or something? She said, oh, well, my husband works here. said, your husband works
0: here? She said, well,
1: yes, he's, uh, he's General Water you know. General Water was that old idiot. So help me, it was an incredible circum... And, and, and there and we drive right up she says what what company are you in
0: <laughs> well the
1: old steel trap mine you know i says the name is gasser herbert l <laughs> uh, number 37148906t5 company g I am Shepherd J. P. One six zero nine eight nine four six T five Company K. Well, probably to this day, there is some poor guy who was probably innocently polishing his brass, who loved Fort Monmouth, when all of a sudden the intercom says, "Gasser, yes, Hubbard L.
0: Come to the ordering
1: room immediately." And bring on your gear, your shipping! (laughs) And ten seconds later, I could see that guy in a parachute (laughs) being dropped alone into Berlin.
0: (laughs) You know? know? Well, Well,
1: that was the... (laughs) That, that's, you know, when you run into this thing... I'll, I'll never forget, you know, if you want to hear Army stories, these are the kind of stories that you never... you just don't see. You know, you see combat on the, on TV, these all these World War II movies. They never really talk about Army life. Well, let me tell you a little thing that happened regarding that. strange. You know, one thing that most civilians don't know is the incredible gulf that exists between the officer world at the EM. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you, it's like one guy's living on Mars and the other guy's in the swamp, you know? <laughs> you just can't believe it, you know? And the, and the, and the EM don't know about it, you know? <laughs> they really don't know. The world of the officer is an opaque one. And all they see about the officer all the time is once in a while they go like this. You
0: know? <laughs>
1: yeah, you know, guys used to learn how to... You know, have you ever seen guys throw salutes that when you're really in the army over a long period of time, you learn how to throw the respectful salute. Then there's the bucking for staff sergeant salute, and then there's the you go to you know what salute.
0: <laughs>
1: Boy, I'll tell you guys, we're really like.
0: You know, that's like, man, man,
1: keep your hands off me. I'm hard, you know. You are. And this little second lieutenant, you know, just out of out of out of OCS and out of Fordham, you know, ROTC. You know that little innocent, beardless youth. You know he's coming along. and He's going like this. And and the, the old rotten PFCs. You know, stripes, ribbons, stars, and all that. Well, I'm in that scene. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm a PFC at this point. And now there is a special kind. You know, again, we, if you want to talk about hell, there is a special kind of hell in the army called... Now, get this. If you ever hear this word, you're going to... You should know what it means. I have. I'd love to see... I'd love to see an entire... Documentary done with the one single word called casual company. Now, do you know what a casual company is, folks? Well, we don't really have those in our, our civilian world. It would be great if we did. Do you know what a casual company is? This is where all the misfits are thrown. Can you imagine if, if in our civilian life, if we had one building and all the bad apples, the guys that have been had been let out of jail. You know, they've they've been in the guardhouse for six months. The guys that have been goofing off in the hospital, the guys that flunked out of schools, they threw them all in one building. And there they were, all the guys that were thrown out. And once in a while, somebody would call them out, about four or five of these misfits, and say, come on out. Wash 6th Avenue (laughs) All five of you Bring your toothbrushes You're starting at Washington Square Arch And you're working all the way up to Harlem Get going, have it done by tonight
0: (laughs) And move
1: Well, the casual company Was a company Where everybody was suspicious Of everybody else And everybody had a story That he was hiding In one way or another And everybody was bugged in the casual company because they had gotten kicked out or something. They had flunked out. Their company shipped off and was now in Honolulu, you know, forever. And you're on your way to Bastogne, you
0: know.
1: (laughs) So everybody's bugged. And, you know, you lay in, 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 in in the barracks in a casual company and it's like this. You just lay like this. It's like if suddenly you found yourself in a cave with 600 cobras, and you're a cobra. You look in the mirror, and you can see these two little beady eyes. Looking out at you, you got fangs. And so everybody in a casual company walks around like this. You're going out, you know, to go to the PX. You've got to cover your retreat. You know, you're like...
0: <laughs> Stay away from that
1: foot locker. It's locked! And you hear the guy's rummaging through your stuff. They want to steal your medical records, your dog tags. I had one sock stolen one night. A, a dirty, rotten sock. A guy stole my pajamas one night right off of me, you know, that kind of thing. They were stealing cigar butts out of the butt can, you know. Well, that's
0: the,
1: that's the casual company. <laughs> and so how I got there is another story. You don't want to hear, oh... Boy, if I ever meet that guy, I'll kill him.
0: <laughs>
1: well, anyway, I'm in this casual company, and every day they'd have what they call laughingly a formation.
0: <laughs>
1: well, they didn't call it laughingly. It was sneeringly called a formation, see? And at 5.45, the whistles start blowing out in front of this pest house. And incidentally, all the, all the cavalry, the COs and the cavalry of the, of the casual company, they were guys that had been kicked out of regular outfits, too. So they had a special bug. And they'd look at this crowd of guys, and this is th- this represents their failure. If you can imagine a captain, a West Point captain, that was in charge of a casual company at Camp Leonard Wood in the mud outside of Fort London. you can see it's like Hitler all of a sudden working the bar here, you know?
0: <laughs> oh, is
1: he bugged? And so this this captain would walk around in front of us, you know. You could just see frustration, and we're all standing. Every last one of us has been in the Army like three and four years, you know. This is a whole veterans. And and we've all developed that, that company formation eye shift. Now, that is a way for 290 men to become totally invisible by the use of their eyes. Nobody can separate them. So if the first sergeant says, you, you three over there, it's a shifting mass.
0: <laughs>
1: it's like, it's literally, it's like looking at a school of squid <laughs> and trying to get their eye, hey, you, don't, and they're moving like that.
0: <laughs>
1: so we're all standing there like this, shifting around and are moving. It's a body, it's a, it's a combination of body movements eye movements, it's the way you wear your hat, it's pulled like this, <laughs> and it's the way you're, your coat, you button it sideways, it always, it's very hard, it's camouflage, you know, and you can see this whole company, so they're walking around, and finally the duty corporal comes over, and he says, all right, you six guys, here, stop, hold still, you, he pull six guys, and here I am, six of us, you trapped, he said, all right, you six guys, you, corporal there, me, six. It's you, corporal. You're in charge of this detail. I want you to go to the officers the officers' quarters, the permanent officers' quarters down at the other end of the camp. And I want you to go and I want you to work on Lieutenant Colonel Watanabe's house. You're on detail there. I have never been in an officer's house. And here six malcontents were standing. And I said, I turned and I said, We had hit the jackpot, you know. Up to this point, they would just send all of us into the grease trap, en masse. You know, I I remember one day when they assigned me as a casual corporal to clean with three other guys 400 chickens. (laughs) To this day, I can't stand chicken. You know, you're bringing out... Oh, you ought to be knee-deep in feathers. You'd be surprised what's in chickens. <laughs> it's unbelievable, you know, and after a while you get so that you compare the innards of chickens.
0: <laughs>
1: you find all kinds of interesting medical things. I remember <laughs> Gasser says, hey, look at this.
0: Wah! Look at that. Wah! It's I wonder
1: what that is. And it's dripping, you know. Well, you've got to make your time pass somehow, you know. <laughs> Well, this day I, I, <laughs> I turn to my little band and I say, attention, left face, forward, arch eddies, march eddies. You you know, route step. That means just yell and holler and wh- whistle, and you know, we're dragging down through the streets. And every, every guy in our casual company came equipped with a long broom. All the other soldiers had rifles. (laughs) We had this long broom. You remember the big kind that you used to watch? You used to watch guys working in your school, janitors. You used to envy them with the big brooms. Well, it's not such a kick, you know. I thought it would be fun. Well, <laughs> well each one of us has got this thing, you know, in a bucket. And we got our brushes and our GI soap, and we're going along. <laughs> and on all sides of us are these combat troops going. You know, they're marching away. You can see their helmets shining and their, their equipment rattling. And we are heading towards Lieutenant Colonel Abercrombie's pad. Well, we arrive in front of this house. Let me tell you this. I had never even been in this part of the camp. I didn't know that such a world existed. They had sidewalks. You know, just like in real life. Yeah, they had porches and windows and stuff, you know. I had been so used to living in the barracks, you know, you, you, you get 20, maybe 30 feet away from the barracks, and you smell the butt cans.
0: <laughs>
1: There's nothing like essence of butt can <laughs> to bring back the army. Yeah, some butt cans, you know, have been fermenting since around the last days of World War I. <laughs> that thick, mulligatawny stew of cigar butts and stuff. And also, another thing you detect, when you stand outside the enlisted man's barracks, is the smell of two-week-old fatigues. How many of you guys remember that special smell of fatigues? You know, the laundry hasn't come back for two weeks. It, it, it turns litmus paper a light jade green. It's you know? very special cloth. It doesn't smell like perspiration. I don't know exactly what it smells like. But it's very vibrant. <laughs> that's part of the army. Well, here I'm in front of a house that's got a porch got steps. It's got curtains in the window. And there's a little sign out in front that says, Lieutenant Colonel J. W. Abercrombie. So I say, Squad Halt! You stay here, I'll go up and check. And they all stand.
0: (laughs) You
1: know, they're waiting, they don't know what's going to happen. I go up and I knock on the door, see? I wait you know you don't knock on barracks doors this is something i hadn't done for years you know i'm knocking on a door see i'm standing there and i hear footsteps suddenly the door opens i turn around my stinky smelly fatigues, and i got my brush i turn around and there is audrey
0: hepburn <laughs>
1: I'll tell you, it was a chick that didn't stop, and she's standing there. She says, what can I do for you? <laughs> you
0: know? Uh, you know,
1: yeah, you know, I'm well. Uh, I'm, uh, <clears throat> oh, my God, you know. I'm, a Corporal Shepard. Uh, Corporal Shepard. Uh, They've taken my stripes off, you know.
0: <laughs>
1: I'm Corporal Shepard, and we've been sent down here on a detail, and, and, oh, she says, yes, we've been expecting you, I said, yeah, (laughs) so, wow, I said, all right, fellas, you hang around out there for a minute, I'll be out, I'll be right out, (laughs) so, I walk into the house, and here is this beautiful girl, she must have been about 17, I was a cool 18 and a half, and (laughs) R-E-A-D-Y, I'll tell you, I mean, the most exciting thing that I had seen in years was a Milky Way at the PX.
0: You know? And
1: here is this girl in this house, and they've got furniture. I mean, they've got rugs, and I've got these big GI shoes with chicken guts hanging on them, you know? And, oh, you know, it's awful. i tell you. My fatigues are smelling, and all of a sudden, you know, I'm not a very big guy. All of a sudden, I feel like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm 30 feet across, like I got big hooks sticking out of me, and <laughs> claws, and I'm st- and she says, well, won't you sit down? I said, yeah,
0: <laughs> sit
1: down, you know, and here's a real couch. I sit down, sitting there, and she goes out in the next room, and I hear her on the phone, and she says, Mother, the boys are
0: here. I says, Yeah,
1: we're the boys. You know. She says, The boys are here. What shall I have them do? Oh? Oh, yes? You mean today? All right. Yes, they, they, they look pretty big. Yes. Okay. All right, Mumsy. She hangs up. And she comes out and she says, She says, my mother said that she would like to have the boys clean the basement, and she would like to have two of the boys cut the grass. I said, oh, fine. I'll have my men take care of it. (laughs) I'll have my men do it there, all right? So I go out on the porch, and you know, these guys are, this is a casual company, you know. And half of them are laying there with their head in the street, you know, and the other half. Yeah, they're just sprawled out. The the instant a a casual soldier is told that he's to rest, he just... Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac
0: Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the Filet-O-Fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.